0: My name is Kyle Burkholder, I'm a pastor here at Covenant Church, and just one of the elders that has the great privilege of uh, serving our body as we go about our mission, and this week we start a brand new sermon series called Reclaim. Reclaim is a, uh, really a walk through the book of 1 John, so not John's Gospel, but 1 John. There's three Johns, uh, a little, a few pages, Pastor Gospels, and this, uh, these are letters written to a specific people at a specific time. But they offer us some really specific wisdom for the time that we are in. And so uh, through the next six weeks, myself, uh, Pastor Nick, Robert, we're going to be um, kind of unpacking this in succession, starting this week with the beginning of the book, and then we're going to work our way through it in order to figure out what it is that we need to reclaim in order to be followers of Christ that we say we are. Uh, To explain it to you uh, a little bit differently, I'm going to start by telling you, confessing maybe, I, one of my favorite genres uh, of literature is post-apocalyptic literary fiction, which, be like, that's not like zombies, not fantasy world, I don't, that stuff, I can't read that stuff, I'm glad you like it, I don't like it, um, Harry Potter, I can't get into it, there's, there's people on the brooms, so I don't know what's happening, but post-apocalyptic literary fiction, it, all these stories start when something has happened, you don't know what it is, Something has happened, and you pick up the story with people kind of picking up the pieces and going into a world that has never existed before. My favorite of these books, um, and maybe one of the best books I've ever read, just so you uh, know, is The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy is just a beloved writer by people who love writers. Um, He is a wizard with words, but this book is among just the most arresting things I'd ever read. I remember finishing it for the very first time. We were uh, living in Texas visiting my in-laws in Abilene, Texas, in in West Texas, and I was so engrossed. I was reading this book on a Kindle, and I'm in the backseat of a car, I don't know where we're going or what we're doing, we pull up to a snow cone stand, and everybody's excited about getting their snow cones, and I'm in the backseat of somebody's car weeping as I finish this book. I can hardly see the words through my tears, and they're like, what's wrong with dad? And everybody just rolls their eyes and go, he's strange. It was incredible. And um, the plot is basically this. The plot of the road is that in a bleak world where everything is gone and few people survive, a father and a son journey to find hope and stay alive. As the darkness grows, they are seeking light. I'm gonna read you an excerpt from the book to give you a sense of this, because this is, I think, more than we know where we are. The book says this. An hour later, they were on the road. He pushed the cart, and both he and the boy carried knapsacks. And in the knapsacks were essential things, in case they had to abandon the cart and make a run for it. Clamped to the handle of the cart was a chrome motorcycle mirror that he used to watch the road behind them. He shifted the pack higher on his shoulders and looked out over the wasted country. The road was empty. Below in the little valley, the still gray serpentine of a river, motionless and precise along the shore a burden of dead reeds are you okay he said the boy nodded then they set out along the black top in the gunmetal light shuffling through the ash each the other's world entire that last sentence if you want to know where i'm jealous of to be able to write that sentence i'm just i saw that sentence the first time and i just went there's something else this guy's on another level They set out in the blacktop in the gunmetal light, shuffling through the ash, each the other's world entire. The beauty of that book, to me, is it's all told in shades of gray. The gunmetal ash, the, I mean, I think he found a thesaurus with more words for gray than I knew existed, and they just kept coming. The whole book is told in those shades, and, and light, it seems, as you go through the progression of the narrative, light seems to be fading, imperceptibly, but it's fading. Things just keep getting darker. So you're asking, usually you read the Bible. Today you read some other thing from somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. So where are we going here? What does this have to do with Jesus? We are coming up on 20 months since our world changed. We're all tired of saying, oh, I have COVID, everything changed. Everything changed. This was our world. It shifted a lot for a lot of people. If I told you two years ago that we would have people in full hazmat gear providing tests, through your car window, or societal shutdowns, or mass vaccine events. If I told you that your children would be wearing masks in school, that last week I would show a vaccine card in order to be admitted into a concert, or that a 14-year-old can now work at Taco Bell and make $15 an hour. That's That's the joke part. The point is, a lot has changed. So much has changed. None of this stuff was predictable. And it's been a slow sea change and an immediate change at the same time. It's been abrupt and slow motion at the same time. But what's happened is that there's been a slow stealing of what was and a reimagining of what is. We have gone through a cataclysmic change in our society, and what we have now is a result of many of those shifts and the way we responded. The European Journal of Social Psychology there's a paper there that, that basically, I'll say proves, but states. That a new behavior, it takes 66 days for a new behavior to become um, automatic. So if you start doing something, you, everybody has their numbers 30 days, seven days, seven habits, whatever. 66 days, if you do the same thing, a new behavior, um, like let's say wear a mask everywhere you go, or only order your groceries at Kroger Pickup instead of going into the store, or whatever, in about two months, that behavior that takes mental energy now is automatic. I do it naturally. To the point when when you get to stop doing it, it's weird. I still order Kroger pickup for my groceries more often than not because I got in the habit of doing it and now when I think I need to go to the grocery store, I pull out my phone and I click all the things on the app and I pick it up in a few hours because it became automatic for me. Think about the new behaviors you learned in the last 20 months. We fist bump instead of hugs because we lost hugs somewhere along the way and fist bumping became the thing and so now you see someone and you don't know how to greet them exactly and so you just kind of go, all right, see ya. You shop online because stores were closed. My family, confession number two of the day, my family began eating in front of the television. (gasps) Yeah. We were a proud family. We eat at the dinner table. The studies say this is better for our children. We like this. We ask about our days. We have the self-disclosure fiesta. It's so much fun. We eat at the table. That's where we eat. Don't eat in front of the television. What are we, heathens? And then COVID happened, and we spent all day every day together already And the last thing we need to do is say, how was your day? Because I was there for the whole thing. And so we're like, just turn anything on. It doesn't matter. Any distraction ever. And then we would eat in front of the television. And it was a ton of work because that became automatic. It was a ton of work to wind that back and go back to eating like human beings at a table. And the children looked at us funny like, what do you mean we're eating at that? It's like some sort of rectangle. It's not padded at all. Guys, come on. We lost more than we know. And not all of it is a black to white change. It's mostly a slow fade to gray. It's something we missed and we started doing a new thing. And so, for the next six weeks, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the things that we need to reclaim that are important and have always been important, and that we may have, due partially to the way life goes, due partially to COVID, due partially to all the different factors of life, we've lost some faith rhythms that matter. We've lost a view of our homes as a place of ministry because we were told that our homes are our one bubble of sanctuary. We've lost relational health and love for one another because we were told to stay away and keep social distance. And Scripture doesn't call for social distance. It calls for social intimacy, leaning in. And you don't do it when you Zoom and Skype and all the other things. We lost sight of the light in a lot of ways. Our love and our faith and our witness have slowly gone to gray, and they're not gone They're just obscured in the gunmetal light of the new world we inhabit. So we make our way along the COVID road and we try to survive another day with either having gotten used to too many people in my space or for some, the crushing loneliness of no one comes around anymore. And while things are starting to feel closer to normal, we wanted to take this season and say, let this not be normal. Let the new normal not be normal. Let's get back to God's intended reality, not the normal that we would just blandly accept as we walk. We've learned to live with loss and lesser life and even a dimmed light. Our light is dimmed. Darkness is growing, but darkness doesn't grow. Here's the thing, darkness doesn't grow. Darkness only shows up where light recedes. So I'd say that two different ways. Darkness only expands where light grows dimmer, and darkness is only present where light is absent. Darkness doesn't seem to have its own will that's growing and taking. It, it simply inhabits the spaces where light refuses to go. And so you and I, through the last 20 months, have slowly receded from letting our light shine, have slowly receded from being the light, have slowly receded because in a lot of ways we were forced to, and in other ways we adapted and say, this is actually more convenient for me. And the result is, darkness seems to be growing in our culture, darkness seems to be growing in our neighborhoods, darkness seems to be growing all around us, and it isn't that darkness grows, it's that the light has given up ground and there's nothing left to fill it but darkness. Darkness just fills voids. So we reclaim, today, we reclaim Jesus and light. First John is written by John, this is a pretty obvious one, John is one of the Zebedee brothers, the sons of thunder, Okay. John is writing this letter to a people who seemed to be losing the gospel and they were drifting towards something called Gnosticism. Start with G. G-N-O-S Gnosticism. Gnosticism was uh, really simply the idea of, of knowledge over walked out faith. So the early Christians and Jews who were attempting to follow Jesus had left this, this following of the real Savior, Jesus, and they'd started just kind of leaning into knowledge instead, ideas instead of physical realities. More than that, they held that all matter, all physical matter was evil. And so Jesus had become sort of an idea and salvation was now like personal enlightenment and all matter, physical things were evil and so those were to be avoided or even um, castigated. And what happened was there became this strange sect of people, a growing sect of people that were thinking that knowledge was good and physical world was bad and it had weird implications for everything no longer love creation because creation and the world is evil you don't love and try to redeem it you don't try to transform it around you don't do any of these things because it's evil so you work to avoid it it's to be evaded and replaced instead of replacing it with more physical love and attention you just replace it with more knowledge and ideation worse what of jesus jesus was the physical embodiment of god who came to die for sin. If Gnosticism takes over, Jesus becomes less of a physical savior and more of a nice idea. So John is inviting these people to return to their identity in Jesus. And and Nick is gonna talk a whole lot more about that next week. He's asking them to return to their walk with him and in walking like him and loving and serving the physical world, then they will be Christians. Then they'll be followers of Christ. And so the book starts, and we're not gonna read it, I'll tell you what it says. The first four verses of, of 1 John chapter 1 it's just John saying Jesus was a real physical person, and he's giving witness accounts, and he's saying he was a real physical person. He's not an idea. He's real. He was a flesh and blood Messiah. He was a physical Savior, and so he's reiterating this idea that this is—you can't get into the world of enlightenment ideas and, and, like, let's just talk about it. He was real and physical and with us. So we pick up the, the Scripture in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Scripture says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And so if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. And we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's pretty straightforward. Walking in light versus walking in darkness. I'd like to point out this is all physical language still, isn't it? This is not thinking about darkness and thinking about light. It's not ruminating. It's, not, it's walk. It's a physical action. John is driving home his point that following Jesus is a flesh and blood activity. Following Jesus means walking with Jesus. It's not head and heart. It's head and heart and hands and feet. So if we're walking in the light, we would have physical acts that support and evidence our belief and our trust in Jesus. And all of it is then kind of founded in this beautiful truth of verse 7. Verse 7 said we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This is beautiful because if we realize that Jesus' blood, his physical death on the cross cleanses us from sin, then we don't fear taking a wrong step. So many of us shrink back from an active faith life because we fear messing it up. And this is saying you don't need to fear messing it up. You can mess it up. Jesus covers you. If you, if you go astray, if you do it wrong, if you're, if you're off for the day, if your pride takes over, whatever it is, you don't, you're not condemned. You're actually still covered. And so fear can go away and the walking out of your faith can take over. This runs opposed to the 2020 life that we learned and the reconditioning of our own selves, the subtle things we'd ever realized. Fear was everywhere. And I'm not here to have a faith over fear debate. Fear was everywhere for a good season for a good reason. But what happened? Sneezes became weaponized. Do you remember the first time you coughed in public? And you had to look around. And some of us actually said, I don't have it. Just seasonal allergies, people. And they were like, sure, whatever. Coughs were criminalized. Bodies with viruses in them became threats to our safety. We grabbed a new Gnosticism, where we shrunk back from the walking out of things, and we held on to an idea, and the physical world was all of a sudden evil and threatening. Everything was a threat. We took knowledge over action. We engaged in fights, but they were not fights over justice. They were over ideology. And so we lived in a world then for a season where everything physical was evil and threatening, and so we lived in the world of sanitizer and social distancing. And we don't recognize it in the moment, but subconsciously it has changed us. Like basketball, we love Coach Ugar, we love Tanya, we love that family. We got to go in 2020, the basketball tournament got canceled in Cleveland. So we were bummed out and we were packing to go and support them and and cheer on our friends. And so 2021 comes, and this is the picture I took from our seat in 2021. A year after the pandemic had started, this was an acceptable crowd at a championship tournament. I think each school was allowed something like 150 people in the room. So in an arena that seats 20,000 people, I remember our seats, which we were thrilled to be there, our seats, we were... Fifteen seats down from Tanya and Mike, we could wave to them, and you'd have to pull your mask down and smile to make sure you weren't, like, asking them to do something. And then nine rows in front of us, everything was marked off, nine rows in front of us was the next pair of two people. And it wasn't wrong. They were following certain guidelines and trying to keep people safe, but it was, it didn't feel that weird after a minute. It just felt like I was at a basketball game. So this year, when we show up and we get to go into a full arena and we get to cheer on our friends and and be with people who are in the same it's gonna, that'll feel strange. And the first time someone coughs in your road, that'll feel weird. And it's, it's flipped, because that felt normal. That's not normal. They didn't build 20,000 seats so you could have 312 people there. That wasn't what it was for. And yet that's where we've gone. John is saying your faith in Jesus is about living out your faith in Jesus. Your faith in Jesus was intended, you, the arena of faith was built a certain way so that you would be on the court living it out not distance in the, in the stands as a spectator. And what's changed in our life is our faith has become distance and spec, it's a spectator sport. And we have a faithful community that is still active and is still living out their faith in, in a lot of ways, but subconsciously it is eroding. Subconsciously the darkness is coming because subconsciously we have shrunk back a little bit. John is saying, you were made to walk out your faith. First John chapter 2, we continue reading. He says this, my little children, I'm writing you these things. So that you may not sin. He's reiterating the sin piece, no fear. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. And this is how we know that we know him. This is how we know that we know Jesus. If we keep his commands, obedience is hard. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... Truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. More physical language, more hard language. You can't say I believe it and then not walk it out. If so, you are a liar. He's saying if you say you believe it, it is evidence in the way that you walk. And notice how he begins this part of the letter. He says, your sins are covered. Your fear should go away. Don't worry about screwing it up. You can't mess up God's plan. I'm sorry, you're not strong enough. You're not powerful enough. You can't usurp his will. You failing at the thing he's given you to done doesn't change his eternity. So he says, walk out your faith. How? Three ways. Keep his commands, keep his word, and then walk as he walked. Keep the commands of God, keep the word of God, and then walk as Jesus walked the earth. Three Kind of similar ways to say the same thing. How do we know our faith is real? How do we know I'm in him? How do we know I really have a relationship with Christ? How do we know I'm alive in him? Have intimate relationship with him? How do I know that? How do I live out his will? All these big questions we ask, how do you know that you know that you know? John is saying there's three pieces of evidence. You would walk as he walked. You walk in the light. Is there evidence of that? And you keep his word and his commands. You keep his word and his commands. This is an important sidebar, but it's one we're going to take. Jesus saw Scripture as God's Word. Jesus saw Scripture as God's Word. The law was God's Word given to man. John is reiterating and saying the same thing. And so with a bit of work, what we can see is we start reading between the lines, you cannot follow Jesus and have personal relationship with Him unless you believe in the authority of God's Word in your life. Scripture is saying you can't follow Jesus, claim Jesus, and say, I have intimate relationship with him, and at the same time reject that the Bible, that God's word, has authority in your life. Those two things don't go together. Jesus is the lived out word. So you read the Gospel of John and read the first part of that. Jesus is the word. So the word here was made flesh in Jesus. Jesus lives it out. And when Jesus is on earth, what does he say? He says, don't think I've come, in Matthew chapter five, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus himself, as you go, I don't know if the Bible's true. I like the Jesus thing. Jesus says the Bible's true, and if you want to push it aside, you're pushing me aside. Some people go, that's a a leap of logic. I don't know. I mean, I believe in the Bible. I mean, I believe in the Bible. Believe in Jesus, but it's the 21st century, some will tell me. It's the 21st century. Like we have to read context in, agreed. We have to read like some of it's poetry, agreed. But some of it feels kind of outdated, doesn't it? Some of it feels primitive or contradictory. Some of it it doesn't line up with the way the world is today. So maybe those parts we can adapt and change and kind of just even slip aside because I want to hold Jesus up to be Jesus, but the rest of this stuff is starting to feel a little bit outdated to me or unpopular to me. You really think it has to have authority in my modern life? Like, I mean, the Bible doesn't say anything about how I'm supposed to be in an Uber. Like, should I be nice? Should I tip? What do I do? The Bible doesn't talk about that. And what we do subconsciously when when we play that game of like, I don't know if the Bible can have total authority because because things have changed, because society's shifted, because things are progressing. When we say that, what we're saying is, I don't know that the God who created the universe could have foreseen what would happen in society. Therefore, his word is invalidated because he just couldn't, he didn't know. He didn't know Twitter was coming, guys. And the other view is to say, I believe that the God of the universe in giving us his word and of creating a, a, a list of holy texts, godly inspired spirit, divined texts, was giving us a gift that would supersede the culture because the culture will shift again. His word's unchanging. So people will tell me, I believe in Jesus resurrected, but, and I can believe that without having to believe in the Bible, right? My answer to them is kind of complicated. It's a nuanced conversation. I said, well, you can. You can start there. But Jesus says that can't be the end spot. Jesus is telling you, you need to adopt the idea that he is the living embodiment of this and it will never contradict him. And so if you want to believe in Jesus, then you have to hold this to be Oh. So that's not the point of today, but it's a point of today. That we are a people of the resurrection, but the book, the scripture, the word, upholds that and supports that, and we can't live separated from them. Let's say it this way, if the Bible lacks authority in an area of your life, it's because there is a greater authority. If there's an area of your life where you go, you know what, I think the Bible is right in all these things, but in these two areas, I don't like the Bible and what it says there, so I'm going to trust something else. What you're saying is that there is a greater authority in my life than the Word of God. If Jesus is teaching and commands lack authority in your life, there has to be another authority. If Jesus says, love your neighbor, and you're like, yeah, but not that one, then what's your greater authority? I would say it this way. My doctor, uh, Dr. Pat, P-A-A-T, not his first name. Dr. Pat says eat right and exercise. That's what he tells me to do. Eat right and exercise. I would tell him, that's hard. Okay, doc, I'm busy. I'm lying. I'm not that busy. What it is is I'm lazy. Still, still, eat right and exercise is hard. I have to make time for that. I have to avoid the things I like. That's hard. I want to believe some of that. Actually, the eat right thing is easier for me than the exercise thing. Exercise takes time. Eating right, I can just do. So eat right, cool, exercise, ugh. Uh, doc, I don't know if I want to do that. And he's going, okay, well, I'm the, am I the physical authority in your life or not? And I'm like, well, I don't know. There's other doctors out there. I mean, YouTube's full of doctors. I don't know if it, COVID taught you anything. You can find somebody on the internet to tell you whatever you want to hear. So I can go find a different doctor, and I can get told what I want to be told. Let me put a doctor on the screen for you. I want to introduce you to Charles Alderton. Doesn't he look nice? He's a reputable guy. Well, soup strainer action there. He invented Dr. Pepper. So let's call him Dr. Pepper. And if you notice, the advertiser for Dr. Pepper at the beginning of its life was free from caffeine, that nasty stuff, and it promotes vim, vigor, and vitality. Just what the doctor ordered, they said. So which doctor would I like to follow? Do I want to follow Dr. Pat, who says eat right and exercise? Or maybe Dr. Pepper's got some good ideas? I'm going to allow his authority into my life because that will be easier than this other authority. There's a war of authority happening. And this is a silly example, but it points out that we always have options of who we're going to listen to. We always have an authority that we're going to trust in our life. And you might say, look, I love Jesus and I love what he did for me. I love and I believe and it's true. There's some things in the scripture I don't like. There's some things that make me feel really uncomfortable. Me too, sometimes. Tim Keller says it this way. Tim Keller says, either your feelings are judged by the Bible, or the Bible is judged by your feelings. I said, man, that cuts. Either what I think, Kyle's opinion, gets judged according to a holy text, or the holy text is being held up to the authority of my opinion. Someone is always the authority. Dr. Pat, Dr. Pepper, Is it God? Is it your feelings? What is the point of this? This sidebar is intended to draw you back to the idea that darkness comes slowly but surely if we abandon the light. Darkness will fill the void. So if we decide to take our eye off the light, if we decide to just lower this a little bit and instead take on something else, what we are doing is inviting a little less light in our life. We're not necessarily chasing darkness. We're trying to chase enlightenment. And yet when the light dims, darkness fills the void. We've been profoundly disrupted in the last couple of years. Our faith rhythms have been disrupted and gone sideways. In the midst of fear and unease and tension and division, a lot of us, whether we even know it or not, have traded in our faith for our feelings in a lot of areas. Though the world has shifted, John is telling us authority never changes. The world can shift and authority stays the same. The context can shift and authority stays the same. Your, your location of your life, the reality of your days, your health, your, it can all change, but the authority stays the same. But we let our faith dim. And as a result of our faith dimming and our eyes being distracted by lesser things in the world, darkness has grown. We turn to physicians and politicians. We turn to YouTube prophets and social media saviors. We spent more time on more people who aren't an authority in our life. And now we've kind of been conditioned to do that. We did it long enough that it's just sort of what we do. The one who says she knows Jesus, John says. The one who says he knows Jesus. The one who says she knows Jesus should walk as he walked. When Jesus was brought the world's opinion, Jesus said, that's fine for the world. I'm here to follow the will of my Father. When Jesus was told that the world does it this way, he goes, that's fine, pay your taxes, I don't care. I'm here for my Father. Over and over, when Jesus was offered the option to chase the world and the world's agenda and the status and all these things, Jesus said, that's great, you can do that, maybe for you. I'm here to do the will of my Father. And then the scripture implores us to walk as he walked. Walk as he walked. Walk in the light. Keep the commandments. Today is the day then that we would need to reclaim the light in our life. And it's simply a matter of intention. That we would look at each other, we would look at our community and our faith community and our families, and we would say, we are going to chase light. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's difficult, even when I'm in the habit of chasing anything else, i got to get back in the light. I have to live the life that Jesus called me to live, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So, today I'm going to invite you to reclaim your faith. Not that you necessarily lost it, although maybe you did, but I'm going to invite you to reclaim your faith by reclaiming the light, by reclaiming Jesus. Jesus is not a good idea or a good teacher, he's not an oracle to guide us through some days. Jesus is not a good release from the worries of the world, Jesus is not a source of private enlightenment based on my feelings. These are the things that the Gnosticists were after. These are the things that we have slowly become after. And what we don't even realize, and the reason this book is so appropriate for us today, is that we have been living out 21st century Gnosticism. More knowledge, less walk. More personal enlightenment, less communal engagement. We have been slowly drifting into the same thing that first century Christians were slowly drifting into. And so we're going to reclaim our living Lord and Savior, who is a living authority in our life, as the author of eternity, who personally cares how your Tuesday is going. Ideas don't care about how your Tuesday is going. The creator of the universe, the personal God who loves you, cares. He cares about the fight that you're in. He cares about the battle of your life. He cares about your trials and your traumas. He cares about your health scares. He cares about your relational break. He cares about those things. And he's actively involved in your life today. He cannot simply be an idea on the shelf. So we have to reclaim the light of the world so we can again walk in the light. So if we pull them off the shelf and put them back into the center of our life, then we have to walk that out. So what I'm going to do is get out of the way. Greg's going to come back up with the worship team and they are going to lead us in worship. And as they do that, uh, this isn't over. You may have noticed we have some big black boards and some baskets of, I don't know, it looks shiny in there. I'm going to ask you to respond to this message in a physical way. We're talking about a physical Savior, John is saying, this is not simply an idea you can mentally assent to in your chair. He says, you have to get out and walk it out. So I'm going to invite you during the course of the next two songs while we sing for you to walk this out. In each of these baskets up here by these black boards, you'll find light bulbs. They look like this. Christmas is coming, I don't know if you knew that. We bought all the light bulbs, so if you're looking, we got them. During the course of the songs, when we stand up to sing, you're invited to come forward. And in those baskets, there are white light bulbs and there are red light bulbs. The white light bulb is for you if you say, look, I'm a, I'm a committed follower of Jesus. But I want to I wanna show the world, I want to walk it out and tell the world I am still committed to him and his light in my life. I don't feel like I'm wobbling. I don't feel like I'm off track but I do get it. I have to walk out my faith. And so today, if that's you, you grab a white light bulb and screw it into one of the places there that's available. You can also grab a white light bulb if you have been wobbling a little bit. You go, you know what? It's been a little dicey for me, but I'm in on this. I'm in on Jesus as the light of the world. I'm in on him as my personal savior. I'm in on him in relationship and I need to show the world, so I'm going to grab a white light bulb too And you go, awesome. Put that white light bulb in. The red ones are there for you. If today you would say, you know what, I've been on the fence. I've been on the fence about Jesus, or maybe I've kind of accepted Jesus, but not really this whole thing of having authority in my life. So maybe today is your first time to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to try to trust Jesus. I'm going to try to walk out Jesus with my life. And if that's you, you grab a red light bulb and you plug it in. The other red light bulb, people, is we know this. Some of you are in a battle. Some of you are in the depth of a fight. Some of you, you feel like the darkness is growing and taking over, and you are going through hell. So when the ambulance roars down the street, when the fire truck blazes past you, it's got those red lights flashing. Some of you need to say, you know what, I follow Jesus, but man, I feel like the sirens are going off in my life. For you, that red light bulb says, I'm going to focus on the light even as it feels like the darkness is growing. I'm going to be here and I'm going to acknowledge that, man, this is a hard season, but that red light is going to be blazing here for the next six weeks and I'm going to look at that light and I'm going to go, Jesus is getting me through this. So there's white light bulbs, there's red light bulbs. There's people of faith who starting today are going to reclaim that faith and reclaim that Savior and walk out the faith that we've been given so i'm going to start us as they sing hi again just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect if you're ready to be known we'd love to know you and we hope you'll join us soon every sunday in person or online thanks for listening